This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, good morning and welcome to Open for Business, the show that dives into the journeys and ventures of entrepreneurs and business leaders. This morning on the show, Timothy Tia, co-founder and CEO of co-working and events space provider Colony. Despite the fall of US-based co-working giant WeWork, the Malaysian co-working space looks to be going strong. The increasing demand for flexible workspaces has fueled a thriving co-working scene here in Malaysia, a trend that attracts a diverse clientele, including freelancers, entrepreneurs, SMEs, and even multinational corporations. Drawn by the cost-effectiveness and reduced operational responsibility associated with running their own uh, office spaces. Co-founded by husband and wife duo Timitia and Audrey Ui, uh, Colony is a more luxurious take on the co-working space concept and was launched in late 2017. Uh, the idea was to transform the work experience with beautiful serviced office spaces and world-class amenities, taking inspiration from Silicon Valley offices, I guess. Uh, they started with a team of 15 and had two branches initially and within a year raised 5 million US dollars from Cornerstone Partners and today they've got four main co-working spaces, multiple event spots and in 2021 introduced Jerry Co-working Space, a cheaper fully automated, no frills option. Today on Open for Business, Colony's co-founder and CEO Timothy Tia will take us through the lessons learned, challenges faced and journey ahead in the ever-evolving landscape of co-working. Timothy, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, let's start a little bit with why you started down this road in 2017. Right? What was the gap you saw, and why did you jump in? Especially considering that you were, you know, you are your previous life, you were the owner and founder of Daphneng. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I, in summary, I was really duped into going to co-working. <laughs> really, really, I was really duped. Uh, and this is in all truth and honesty. Uh, so, what happened was that I. I, I was I had left my company, my previous company that I founded, Nafneng. Um, they eventually sold my shares and everything, um, and and I was looking for something to do, and and the first time I ever heard of a co-working space was when I went to Jakarta and I visited a friend. Uh, they were they were doing a co-working space back then called EV Hive, mm-hmm. uh, and this friend was telling me all about this space. You know, it's like oh, you rent desks and offices. And he said, oh, there's this new company called WeWork that is at that point in time valued at $3 billion. And there's a whole gold rush for everyone to be the next WeWork of Southeast Asia and to sell to WeWork and all that. Right. And, and at first I, I was like, OK, you know, that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not very good at playing the whole VC pumping, raise money kind of game. Mm. But, but there are a few things I liked about the business model. Right. Um, I like that it was a business model where you collect uh, upfront, right? You have deposits and everything, so cash flow is not not too much of an issue. I like that it's more capital intensive business than a people intensive business. So this you can do a lot more with smaller teams. Um, yeah, and I like that it's a very straightforward business. If you look at our P and L, you know immediately what what goes where. It's it's very straightforward, right? You you collect revenue from rent, and then your cost of sales is the rent for landlord, utilities, marketing, and and all that. So. So then, you know, the next place I went back then, it was in end of 2016, right, was I, I went for market study in Singapore and co-working was thriving there. Mm. There were so many centers there and, and I visited each one of them, right, and they were all full. And, and naturally, I would ask them, I'll ask, hey, okay, this is your occupancy? Oh, great, you know, and, and it's very easy to calculate, you know, a back of the envelope of how much money they were making, right? Yeah. You, you know how much, how big the space is, you know what the rent in the area are like, and you know what rates they're selling at. 
and they say, well, so I do a back of envelope calculation and I'll be like, wow, these guys are making so much money. It's crazy, <laughs> right? And it's like a gold rush, this booming market, right? So, so I came back to Malaysia and I thought, okay, I had to start it. So I was quite lucky when I left, I had a number of investors uh, that were just like, they came up to me and said, hey, whatever you're doing, we'll just put some money with you. Um, initially, I wanted to start a hot pot restaurant, but <laughs> I, I was- Slightly, like, slight detour. Slight detour, but I was duped into going this, you know? So then, why I say I was duped, yes. right? Is because it turned out to be a pretty bad business, right? A really bad business, right? Because two years later, I, I happened to look into the Accra, means the like, equivalent of SSM for those co-working spaces that I visited. They yeah. were all full, right? And every one of them was losing a lot of money. And it's only then that I began to understand that there are two factors that I didn't take into account mm. as a layman looking at the business model. Number one is that I assume that when people say they're selling at a thousand ringgit per workstation per month, they actually mean it. When actual fact the transacted is 40% cheaper than the list price, can be as low as 50%, can be 500, the average price can be a 50% discount from what they actually list on their website. Okay, and, and that's a complete margin gone. And the second thing I, I underestimated was the, the customer acquisition costs, like the marketing mm. costs. You know, so, so, you know, I, by fluke, by fluke, Colony works, right? And I say by fluke because our concept of Colony was, was not so much a community and everything, but it's about bringing, um, bringing five-star hotel hospitality kind to the workspace and changing the experience of work, right? So by fluke, um, you know, we operate in a higher end and we're able to hold, um, better prices and, and, and maintain margins. And that's why we can make money. And that's really by fluke. In, to be honest, I, <laughs> I could have, I, I was totally open-minded to go down the same route as we work, you know? And uh, if I did, I think it would be a lot harder for us to make money today. Mm. Yeah, and that's, I guess, why mm. there's been a bit of restraint in terms of how many spaces you've opened up because mm. of this positioning that you've decided to take up, this more luxurious, yeah. more hospitality-centric uh, offering, essentially. So you've got four uh, spaces, but even yeah. then... Um, you're curating to B2B clients, essentially. Like, I think you've got, uh, you've, uh, you, you're managing an office for Carson, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Fashion Valley is yeah, also yeah. a client as well. Yes. So is Respond.io. Yeah. Um, talk about, I guess, when this direction came about. Like, when did you decide, all right, we got to go with big clients instead of looking at freelancers and SMEs? Yeah, so I guess we were excluded from the... I mean, we do have some freelancers here and there, and we do have a lot of SMEs, but we excluded from the freelancer market because um, because of our price, mm. right? Um, but at the same time, when people walk into a colony versus a traditional co-working space, they can kind of understand why this is this is more expensive. Uh. So, so, and our goal has our mission has always been um, not about community and startups and everything, but it's always about uh, creating a great work environment to help your company with retention. Mm. And and this really helped post-COVID because a lot of companies were trying <laughs> to get people back to the office. So they moved in the colony so that, hey, look, you know, this is the office, please come back more because this is how it looks like now. So um, so today we have, uh, actually we, we've opened a couple more in, um, centers. So we actually have six more, uh, we have six centers now, a colony. And we also have a mass market brand called Jerry. We have about eight of those. Uh, so we have about 14 locations in, in Malaysia. Yeah. Could you expand on the, so the product mix as it stands today, you've got six yeah. colony spaces, you've got multiple event spaces yeah. based out of those colony spaces yes. and you've got Jerry co-working yes. spaces. Is that the extent of the product mix today? Yes, yes. And yeah. what made you decide to go down the Jerry route, which is a no frills 
automate it, you yeah. know, get in yourself, get out yourself, zero hospitality uh, line vertical. Yeah. So I I always feel, I've always felt in the co-working market, there, there is a market to make money at two ends of the market. The really high end, where mm-hmm. you can control margins, and the really value-driven low end, right? Or, or, you know, kind of like budget-conscious kind of market, right? Where you have a comparative cost advantage to, to, that you can offer a much lower price product or more competitive price product. So I've always believed in these two ends. If you're caught in the middle, it's a bit hard because, um, you know, you always, the, the, the middle section is a very busy area in terms of competition. And, and they are very, very well, um, well established and uh, players here, even in Malaysia, and, and they execute very well in the middle section. So that's a very hard space to be in. Um, so for, for Jerry, you know, we, we, we go for, uh, we have a cost advantage because we, our centers are automated. Like if you want to book a space, it's just online credit card uh, and you have an office for a month, a, a year. Um, and um, they're all in very nice places, and, um, but all in suburban areas like Tamantun, uh, Subang, you know, um, Uptown and places like that. Um, so in, in, and Jerry also look, attracts corporates as well. So the larger clients there would be Emart24, the conv- Korean convenience store, um, and uh, Lee's Frozen, um, they just moved in as well. It's like 70, 80 people in Jerry. So yeah, so that, that does well. You've also got virtual offices, is that right? Uh, yeah, but virtual offices is not a huge part of our business. Uh. Mm. Um, so our business is mostly office, like or co-working slash office, which is about uh, two thirds of it, um, our revenue. And one third of it comes from event spaces, which is why during COVID, we, we could have died. Uh. We really mm. could have died because we were selling the two two things that nobody needs during lockdown, <laughs> office and, and event space, right? So, so, so what yeah. got you through COVID in the end, through the pandemic? I think our, our, our landlords really played quite a big role. Mm. Um, they, they, a lot, many of them were very kind to us. Um, we kind of like begged them for relief and, and, and they did give us relief, lah, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think our team was very good, very cost conscious as well. Um, you know, and, and I think what really helped us was that we were not overly, um, <laughs> funny enough, right? We were not overly ambitious pre-COVID. So mm. in 2019, right, before the whole WeWork... So you didn't stretch yourself. Yeah. Like, like I remember like co-working spaces were opening up everywhere because you know, everyone had raised money and they're all opening, right? And I remember we were sitting on some money and our investors was asking like, hey, why is it you're not expanding faster? And and my response to them was like, I just can't find any good deals. Mm. You know, because every time I go to, to, to a landlord, I'm competing with three, two other or three other um, operators, right? And, and this is a market where, uh, this is a business where if you are wrong in the landlord deal, you don't strike a right deal, half the battle is lost. Because that's your cost basis, right? That's your cost basis for many years. Yes, for many, many years. You know, so what are your average leases like? We're talking about uh, 10, 15? 15 years. Ah, 15 years. Yeah, you know? So that's that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about you're locking in a 15-year contract yeah. and that's going to be your cost basis. Yeah, and so, and so we're kind of messed up, right? So we actually had one, um, I made a mistake, you know, in KL Central, we had one colony there um, and we, we opened it in 2018 when the lease ended in 2021, we closed it down. Mm. And, and because I knew I was too gung-ho about the area, the location, mm. and too confident because the first two colonies, I, that was my third colony. The first two <laughs> colonies, we were like, um, you know, we were making money and we, we, we did so well. We're like, ah, you know, we thought we were, I had a Midas touch, right? But that, <laughs> that's when you're most vulnerable. And and so we were so ambitious. And so at the end of the, the, third, the, the third year, right, we, we weren't losing that much money. Maybe we were losing about 20,000 ringgit a month, which is easily covered by the group. But... But still, when I looked at it, I'm like, look, given the deal that I entered, I don't think we would have done mm. 
it, it won't be a very profitable center. Mm. So, so I made a mistake. I just cut off the whole thing. You know, we wrote off the whole investment, which is significant, like three, three million, three and a half million. Wow. Uh, yeah. Timothy, we'll get into more of this in mm. a few minutes. We've got to go into a few messages. Mm. Folks, I've been speaking with Timothy Dia, the co-founder and CEO of Colony Co-working Spaces. Up next, we'll talk a little bit about the revenue streams driving this business, uh, profitability, as well as what the journey ahead continues to look like for Colony. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Boring, fake, macho. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. That was Brand's New Start by Little Joy. I'm Roshan Kinesen, and this morning I'm speaking with Timothy Tia, co-founder and CEO of co-working space provider Colony. Earlier we got a sense for what started Timothy and his wife down this path and we spent a few minutes talking about how he was quote-unquote duped into this business and Timothy spent quite a few minutes explaining that out for us. Timothy, there's a lot more I want to get into and I just want to go back in time a little bit. So you were you had to get into this business. You thought it was a good business. Later on, you realized not as good as you thought it was yeah. going to be, but you made it work in the end by going yeah. high end. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, when you decided to do this, did you test the market before entering? How did you do so? And what the first version of Colony looked like? Yeah, so the, um, I, I did, kind I did of. like, you know, we do a bit of market <laughs> research here and there, right? And, and of course, when you go and see other co-working spaces back then before we started, you know, everyone's always telling the, the positive things. So as, a, as an entrepreneur wanting to start a new business, it just looks really good. Mm, mm, mm. You know, and every entrepreneur, when you want to go into an existing industry, you always have this thing in your ego where you think, I think I can do it better. If they are doing so well already, and uh, I think I can do better if I do this, 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 right? Um, but, but in reality, when, when I went into it, I realized, oh crap, actually, this is what they're actually going through. Mm. And, and yeah, like, you know, that's the thing about being an entrepreneur, right? You're, you're stuck. I, I've already started. I'm already swimming. <laughs> I either sink or I swim, right? And I have to kind of figure out a way to, a way to make it work. And, and I'm lucky that our first center, we started with a high-end idea, you know, and, um, and, and that worked out for us. Uh. The right first foot really put you on the, that, that track. Yeah, yeah. And now you are on the high end with Colony and with the low end, no frills yeah. with Jerry. Yeah. Um, that said, this is not your first rodeo. Uh, yeah. you're, this is not your first entrepreneurial endeavor. You were the owner of Nafneng after yeah. 2020. Yeah. And then you were also co-founder and uh, CEO, COO of Netcentric, yeah. uh, also known as Zamble after 2020 yeah. as yeah. well. Talk to us about, I guess, this entrepreneurial journey of yours and how that, I guess, informed the way you went about building uh, Colony. Yes. So, If applicable, of course. Yeah, in all honesty, um, you know, Nafteng was like my first company and mm. and it, it did much better than I expected. Lah. I, had, mm. I had, had no expectations. I was fresh grad when I started it out and it did better than I expected. Um, but really in hindsight, and, and I say this very openly, right, that uh, I think I was successful in spite of myself rather than because of myself. Mm. Um, I, I don't think, I think I was just in the right place at the right time. 
um, when influencer marketing was booming uh, and growing and, um, and we managed to corner the market at that point in time. But really, when I look at how I was as a manager, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, I think um, in hindsight, la, I don't think I was very, very good. La. Mm. You know, if, I mean, if I could go back in time and, and see myself 15 years ago, I would slap him properly la, <laughs> and tell him to wake up his idea. Um, yeah, and, but still, anyway, when I, when I came out in a dead colony, I think um, it was starting from scratch again. Mm. You know, I, you know I, starting from zero again and... And I remember going into going to meet landlords and developers and tell them, hey, I want to open this co-working space here. And, and, um, and they will ask me, but what experience do you have in this? And, and who are you? And I'll tell them, oh, I used to do this other company called Nafnang. Have you heard of it? And they'll be like, no, I've never heard of it. What is that? And I realized that whatever cred I may have had in marketing, advertising or tech industry, it, it translated to zero in, in property. You know? So why did you transition away from influencer marketing where you could have maybe even if not enough Neng, uh, you could have compounded on that you know that experience and influence you had built oh i couldn't because um when i when i when i decided to leave and do some something else right i i had a non-compete oh so you had to basically i had to do something completely different you know and and nothing actually is is it's in many businesses it's not just influencer marketing it's in mm. digital agencies it's in production houses it's in everything actually it's quite so, sizable so i can't uh, there's a lot of things i couldn't go into uh, so I had to change the whole industry altogether. Yeah. Um, was there a bit of a cold start problem when you started Colony? Was it a bit difficult to get going again? Yeah, you know, <laughs> when we started, right? Actually, so I, I have one friend. His his name is uh, he, he's passed away. His name is Danny. He used to, he he does all the Thai restaurants, mm. uh, Absolute Thai and all that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he always used to tell me. He said, when you open a restaurant and it's doing very well for the first three months, you better be worried. Uh, right, because you know, then then you then you have to really think about how long is this really going to last, and can you really make it last? Because you have no time to change these things. And I did feel, uh, in honestly, the first colony we opened, right, within three four months, we we were broken even op- operationally, and we started wow. doing well. But then after a while, we 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 was like a continued growth rate, right, and we hit a plateau, and then it gets harder a harder grind to kind of go up, you know. So, um, but still. The, the trajectory was, was still good, lah. you know what I mean? It's, it's part of the grind, you know, it, it still grew well and everything. But, you know, and we got, like I said, lah, we got overconfident with our third colony. Um, and we, you know, the, the funny thing is that our, the first two colonies were all profitable. And then, and then we, they, they were JVs with landlords, right? And, and then the, then our investors said, hey, this is, you can do so good, right? why JV with the landlord? Why not you just go and invest everything mm-hmm. into and have your own center, right? Without any JV. Uh, without any landlord deal. And so the third one was the one we decided to do that. And that one where we decided to go all in is the one where we, <laughs> we burn. Mm. So, yeah. Um, so the first two did well. Yeah. Before you started taking on tenants, was it difficult to get buy into this concept? Or was it already a hot prospect then? People were familiar with co-working and you know you were, had to essentially filter uh, customers? Yeah, actually it was... There was a boom in co-working, but it was harder for us because we were not attr- going for the like the crowd that was very open to co-working, like the startups, uh, small startups. And because of your C- price point, you were price price point, them right? We're going for a lot of corporates. And, and ourselves, it's like, you want to create a great office so that you know you help you attract and retain talent. And, and back then, we had a lot of like, um, you know, 
bosses that will come in and like, hey, this place is too beautiful. Uh. My, my, <laughs> my, my, my staff cannot work here, you know? So, so we did get a lot of pushback in the earlier years. Um, but since pandemic, right? I guess maybe pandemic, the, the two years of suffering turned out to be a blessing in disguise for us post-pandemic because mm. um, after that, bosses started thinking about how they could make the office nicer. Yeah, because people got to get people back into the office. You got to make it alluring, right? Yeah. So, so I think maybe that helped us. And now, like a lot of corporates are all, um, you know, they corporates are that you never imagined that they would go into co-working before. They, 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 they're with us. So today, our largest clients are. I mean, you have tech companies with us like Carsum, uh, Responder IO, uh, ByteDance. You know, to to even companies like FIFA, FIFA Southeast mm. Asian office, um, is with us to to, um, you know, traditional companies like Lee's Frozen that's been with us for many years as well. Yeah, so... Mm. Uh, Timothy, we've got to go into the 10.30am news bulletin. When we mm. come back, we'll continue this discussion and look on the business side of things, including some of the financial engineering that may or may not go into the profitability of a co-working space. Yeah. Folks, I've been speaking with Timothy Tia, co-founder and CEO of co-working space provider Colony. I'm Roshan Kanesan. We're going into the 10.30am news bulletin right now and then we'll be back here on Open for Business on BFM 89.9 the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Better Finance Management. BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business, the show that dives into the journeys and ventures of entrepreneurs and business leaders. I'm Roger Connison, and this morning, Timothy Tia, co-founder and CEO of co-working and event space Colony, is on the show with us. Uh, earlier, we got into Timothy's early journey, his past experience, and how that may or may not have informed the way he built this business, as well as the way he was, quote-unquote, duped into the co-working industry. Um Timothy, the two big factors I think we were getting towards towards the end of the last part of the conversation was one, the JVs with the landlords, uh, the joint ventures with the landlords when you open up a new space is really, really important. And then there's a little bit of been a little bit of a post-pandemic boom as I guess employees are trying to get people back in the, to the office and also maybe not have to handle their own office spaces. Yeah. Um, before we dive into that and get a bit more detail there, could you give us a sense in terms of where Colony is in terms of revenue generation or a sense for it at least? Oh, okay. I, I think we do like um, comfortably in the seven figures a month, um, every every month in, in revenue. Hmm. Um, so you're about eight figures a year at this point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily, easily. Like easily eight figures over a year. Yeah. So... Uh, and it's still growing. Um, surprisingly, to be honest, because we, I, you know, we suffered from two years of COVID, right? Yeah. So when things are going well for a certain period of time, right? I, we have a bit of a PTSD, like, okay, <laughs> when is the next um, storm coming? You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's so you're still know. growing. And what are you seeing as, I guess, the biggest drivers? Is it still Colony that's driving the show here? Mm. Is Jerry maybe picking up some of the slack, mm. or is it the event spaces? So Colony is where we make our money, mm. right? Um, and and Jerry loses money. As a group, Jerry loses money. So they're all under the same group, right? Yeah. And and so it's very funny. Every every quarter, I report to our shareholders that, hey, okay, this is how much money we made. But of this money, this is how much I burned on Jerry. So um, Jerry is a model where we need like really immense scale mm. and, and in order for it to work. And to be honest, I've, I don't feel like we've, we've figured out the whole model yet. 
um, to, to make it very profitable. And really, very honestly, six months ago, I was sitting down with my shareholders and I was in a meeting, I'm like, okay, look, guys, you know, um, you want me to cut Jerry? You want me to cut Jerry? We'll, we'll, okay, then you, we'll, we'll start paying fantastic dividends and everything, right? Mm. Um, but they said, no, no, it's okay. They get, they, they're okay with that. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful because my, our shareholders also, they, they, they are put, they're okay to, for us to, to reinvest, you know. They, mm. um, my, I told them openly, I said, my, my goal is I want to reinvest everything else, uh, everything in, you know. I, I don't want to declare dividends, you know. In fact, um, you know, last year, you know, we we made a bit of profit. We were like PBT uh, profitable. But I told them that's not my goal. My goal is just to be um, comfortably a bit, a bit more positive, but not to the extent of PBT positive because um, then we end up paying taxes and everything. Mm. You know? So instead, I want to... I want to compound all the cash flow that, that we generate. Uh. So, so, so Jerry is still a very small part of the business. Um, it, but I, I, feel, I feel there's a lot of promise there uh, um, because it has a chance, the opportunity to, to be really, really big if you open many, many outlets, like if you open 100 or 200. So, but yeah, right now it's still something we're still working on. Uh, still loses a lot of money. Uh, is, is the way forward for Jerry perhaps looking at franchising or licensing or are you are you going to want to own and operate each one of these multi-hundred opera, uh, places? Yes. So definitely, I think franchising will, will be something we, we that there's always been on our mind, right? But I'm not, I'm we're not ready to do that yet because mm. we haven't figured out the, the model. Yeah, you, you haven't reached that product market fit. Yeah, some Jerry's are doing better than others and I need to be able to understand down to the line why, mm. right? Why is this operating at 90% and why is this at freaking 10%, right? <laughs> I need to understand why because, you know, when when I bring in franchisees, right, you know, there's a certain responsibility. I owe them a responsibility to for them to make money. Mm. And if I can't answer this question for myself, then I'm not ready to franchise. Uh. So, so, so that's why, uh, you know, but, but yeah, you know, I, but I mean, it, it's been growing. It's every, it's been growing year on year, quarter on quarter has been growing, but it's just, not quick enough for us, uh, you know. Mm. I think it, it needs to do better. Do you have in your head now, a, basically, like a runway or a timeline, in in the sense of okay, if I don't do this with Jerry within the next twelve months, then we need to review this, like what you did with your shareholders six months ago. Yeah, I mean, they 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 did say that okay, you know, let's you know, let's look at it, you know, six months from now. But okay. now six months from now, we have, we're hitting like all-time high in revenues, you okay. know, but we're still bleeding money. But at the same time, there's less pressure because we are making, like the bleeding money that Colony is making mm. and Colony is making more than enough to cover it, you know. Um, so so that works. And Colony is, is, a, is a pretty decent, a bit sized margin business. So, so you know, I, I think they're, they're okay with that. Yeah. So you can imagine now. Uh, you can imagine that when you look at this at group level, right? You know, and you look at how much um, so-called profit we actually pull. You've got profit centers and you've got cost. Centers, so you can so. imagine how much Jerry is burning because it's basically burning all the profit. <laughs> not all, not all, not all, but a significant part of money. On, on a group level, I think you made it abundantly clear that you are profitable. So yeah. what kind of prof- uh, What kind of margins are we talking about for Colony? Okay, so Colony, it's it's you can or, or the group itself. Yeah, so Colony, you can do a 20-25% EBITDA margin. Mm. If I just take Colony as a business, you know. Um, but for us, we, we want to pull... Um, for us, you know, as a group, right, um, our goal is to continuously reinvest la, and compound mm. all the earnings, right? So my, my goal is just to keep it um, EBITDA positive, um, comfortably EBITDA positive. La. And I mean proper EBITDA, la, right? Because, 
Yeah, you know, I, I read a LinkedIn post of yours where you uh, maybe a bit dissatisfied with how some people are calculating <laughs> no, their a beta. Maybe you could elaborate a little further. No, I mean it's just that like, um, and, and this is not just unique to co-working spaces, lah. But even you know, in in tech companies and everything, right now, now the trend is that okay, everyone needs to be profitable, mm. right? And and by profitable, they mean okay, a bit profitable at least, lah, right? Not necessarily PBT, but a bit profit, uh, profitable. So um, so I so then. You know, we work back then. They, were, they they came up with the term community adjusted a bit, where they would exclude like all the overhead HQ costs, marketing costs, salespeople costs, and just look at the center costs. And since then, like a lot of co-working operators, we follow suit, You know, it's like we've we've been like, okay, um, we're profitable, but uh, no, not on group level because we're still investing, but we're profitable on on um, a center a bit level or uh, you know individual centers level or something like that excluding HQ costs excluding marketing costs and everything which is which and, is not realistic and HQ doesn't make money yeah it doesn't I mean, generate revenue on its own yeah but no it doesn't generate revenue because HQ costs are real costs because your salespeople are in there your marketing costs are in there mm. your your finance everything you in know HR. some way you should be having a shared services yes. line in your center cost yes it should be costed in so for us we cost it into each center right mm. but uh, but the, the, what takes the cake of it all is that I've seen now that um, some co-working spaces, they say, yes, I'm, we're a bit that prof, uh, positive, right? Because, you know, in IFRS, they, they actually amortize the, the lease, mm. right? Which means when they take away the amortization of the lease, they they essentially, when they calculate their EBITDA profits, they're excluding the rental costs. Which suddenly makes co-working spaces a 60-70% EBITDA margin, like a software kind of company. Which is really interesting considering the fact that your rental space is your cost of revenue. Not yeah, great. I mean, rentals are biggest cost. So if you exclude that as part of your EBITDA amortization, suddenly we are 70% so, so margin. So the story here is that if you're an investor or going to invest in yeah. a co-working space, make sure you look at all these finer details. Yeah, there. yeah, and, and I think it, 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 you know, when we do stuff like that as an industry, right, it makes us, makes Already, investor sentiment in co-working space is down the gutter. Lah. I mean, mm. you know, I think funeral homes will have better chance raising money than, than co-working spaces at mm. a good price, lah, right? Mm. And and these kind of things kind of compound that, you know, I mean, being um, somewhat dis- dishonest, you know, or, or misleading in, mm. in trying to, um, you know, play with, with numbers, lah, you know? And so, so yeah, I think, you know, we, we kind of need to really get over this. I mean, obviously not everyone in the industry is like that, lah, you know? A lot, a lot of people who are very straight up, you know? But... Mm. But yeah, you know, we, we got to stop this. It's for our own benefit. La. Now, uh, you mentioned a, a point there saying that it's a bit more, the sentiment, investor sentiment mm. for this industry is a mm. bit, uh, not a bit down, you said it's down the gutter. Mm. Um, talk to us a little bit, I guess, you know, because there is a post-pandemic boom here. Yeah. There is growth on your end yeah. here and you are looking to grow uh, uh, Jerry as well. Yeah. Um, are you looking to raise funds to do so or is it a bit challenging or not within your... Uh, you're not within what you want to do at this point. Yeah, we, we did look at it last year, you mm. know, because so one of my friends um, actually told me, he said, when times are going good for you guys, it's time to raise money, mm. you know, and, and we, in the past two years, have been very kind for us, you know. Um, so so we did go to market, um, but of course, we, we wanted to raise only at really, really good pricing, yeah. which we were not able to get from the market. Uh, not in this market. I think if you raise in this market, it's it's going to be at a at a discount. Like not, not, not what you... Not what you could, what not what will make it worth it to me, lah. You know, mm. so so in the end we just said no, you know, and um, you know we just reinvest all our our, our profits back instead. So yeah. you'll take the slower growth, um, yeah. 
better than having to discount what you think your company's mm. worth in terms of the in terms of raising funds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, to me, it's like for me, we're always committed to growth, you know. And I think as as long as we're we're generating cash. Um, in our core business, then at least we can take our time with it. Mm. Which is great because, you know, that's why I think our investors are, are open to giving us more time with Jerry. Mm. If if we're just burning investor cash, I think they would have got me to cut it off long ago. Mm. Yeah. I guess there's a con- there's kind of, a, if you do a bit of a longer term trajectory, there's also kind of like a, a dollar cost averaging to the property market mm. and, all, and all of that. Now, a big part, of course, is uh, you mentioned this joint ventures with landlords, which yes. is not uncommon in this space. Yes. I think most co-working spaces do that either, either by being asked to come and set up a space in a, a mall to kind of bring footfall or utilize office space, which is typically or generally been one of the softer parts of the property yes. market here in Malaysia. Talk to us about how these JVs work and um, I guess and how, is it, how it's played into your business. Yeah, so um, in, in Malaysia, the, pro- the office market is really, really bad mm. because there's just way more supply than there is demand. So really, I I, I personally la, wouldn't want to be an office landlord in in, in Malaysia. Of course, there's there's few areas that, that do well. Um, you know, uh, Mid Valley, for example, does does well in office and everything, but um, uh, but generally it's a very tough office market here. So, um, but but I guess for a co-working space operator, um, this, this is good and bad for us. Being in a weak property market, that means it it's harder to fill in spaces that at the rates that you want, mm-hmm. but you also get a get to lock in rentals at a lower rate, mm. right? So, uh, and our kind of deals with landlords are like the landlords pay. Uh, they put in maybe like 90% of our KPEX. Uh, they take a revenue share instead and we, they charge us a low base rent or service charge or something like that. So that's the way our our, our model kind of works. Uh. And and it differs. Like um, if you are in a hot property market, like like say Singapore, then you, you know, the landlord takes a lot of the profits and the upside. So your margin is a lot lower. Yeah. You have a lot less leverage in that sense. Yes. But you also have a lot less trouble filling up spaces at the okay. rates you want. So Singapore co-working spaces, their revenues are much higher than Malaysia. Mm. Malaysian co-working spaces. We are tiny compared to them in, the, in terms of revenues mm. because their rentals are much higher. But it's a function of the property market there and the office market. Yes. There. And also, but as a result, they're also less profitable or not profitable. Uh. Yeah. Um, Tim, we're coming towards the end of our conversation yes. uh, today. Tell, as we wrap up, maybe take us through what you think the next stage for Colony as a group looks like. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm quite lucky, right? Because our investors are mostly like family officers and everything. And and I always told them, like, look, I'm I'm always going to be open to an exit. Mm. If if I'm not going to I'm not going to stand in the way of an exit. Um, if if you guys want to sell. Mm. Right, and and an opportunity came uh, a year ago to do that, and it was not at the price that the rest of the investors wanted to sell. So yeah. great, I'm happy. To me, I just really want to run, continue running this business, and and even it, when we're looking at that exit, I told them that look, I wouldn't sell out completely. You know, I, I still want to run this business. I really enjoy the business. I really like the industry, and and for me, I just want to build a business that that compounds earnings and 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 makes a lot of profits. Whether we sell, whether we IPO or something like that, you know, I'm totally open to, to anything, but it's not really um, at the top of my mind. Uh. And, and we're quite lucky that we don't have like a VC type that needs to exit within a certain mm-hmm. horizon. Um, even a PE that came in, uh, 5X Capital, you know, even uh, Seong also was telling me like, hey, uh, it's okay, you know, I don't mind just riding along and collect dividends over time. Mm. Yeah, so... So yeah, you know that's and uh, that's just it. to confirm, you raised the funds only that that first round, right? After that, after you first opened up within the first year. Yeah, we raised when we first started in twenty seventeen. Then 
shortly a year after, less than a year after we first opened our first center at 2018. And we haven't had to raise since then. Uh. Fortunately, uh, um, yeah, because now will be a bad time to raise. Mm. But in terms of exit, it sounds like the preference is M&A as opposed to listing. I've done an IPO before, right? My previous company. Mm. And I didn't enjoy being listed. <laughs> really, you know, so I would rather, I, I would really rather just, um, if, if I had to exit, okay, my ideal goal is that someone acquires, they can acquire majority of the company and exit all our investors. I would still want to have some form of stake and mm. still run the business. Uh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Timothy, it's been a pleasure speaking with yeah. you. Thank you so much for your time. Right, thank you very much for having me, Roshan. Thank you. Folks, I've been speaking with Timothy Tia. He's the co-founder and CEO of co-working space provider Colony. I'm Roshan Kynason. You've been listening to Open for Business. Up next, we've got Resource Centre, where we will be talking about what businesses need to know about tax in 2024 and reviewing 2023 in terms of tax policies that will have a business impact. I'm Roshan Kynason. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Are you open for business? Register your company with BossBalay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.